Welcome back to our Nachyomi series on Sefer Yecheskel. In today's show, we're studying Prakim Lamed Gimel to Memchet from chapters 33 to 48, pretty much to the end of the book. The main topic will be Nevot Nechama, the prophecies of comfort the Yecheskel delivers in the last section of the book. As usual, our series is in conjunction with the OU and its Nachyomi project and sponsored with the help of the Cypress Foundation. The overall structure of Sefer Yecheskel is very straightforward. The opening 24 chapters did with Tochacha, rebuke, explaining why the Beit HaMikdash is going to be destroyed. Then we went from chapter 25 to 32, where Yechezkel rebuked the other nations and explained why they're going to be punished by Babel as well. The last section of the book, which begins in chapter 33, we're going to identify as Nechama, as comfort, explaining to the people that even though the temple has been destroyed, and even though they're in exile, ultimately they're going to return. Now the classic prakim of Nechama really begin in Perak Lamed Vav in chapter 36. In the first part of today's shir, we're going to focus on what takes place in chapters 33, 34, and 35 to see how they prepare the background to appreciate the Nechama that begins in 36. And we're actually going to see that in chapters 33 and 34, there's a mixture of both Tochacha and Nechama. We have both rebuke and comfort, as we'll now explain. Perak Lamed Gimel begins with a mashal that God tells Yechezkel to deliver to the people. We'll read the opening psukim. Tell the people, listen to this analogy, should a land be threatened by war? The people of the city or of the land will point a certain person and he'll be the watchman at Sofeh whose job is to look from a tower and note when the enemy is advancing to warn the people in time to prepare. When this watchman sees the sword or the armies coming on the land, then it's his job to blow the shofar to warn the people. As the holiday of Rosh Hashanah is approaching, we see from here very beautifully how a Yom Tshura, when Chumash talks about making a Yom Tshura in the beginning of the seventh month, the basic idea of Yom Tshura is when the people hear the sound of a shofar, it creates a certain feeling of fear as though life and death is before them, just the way they would feel if the city is under imminent attack from the enemy. Then Yechezkel continues in Pasuk Talad. If the watchman, the tzofeh, blows the shofar like he's supposed to, but the person in the city was not careful and he was caught by the sword of this enemy, then the person who was killed is responsible for his own death. Then he continues with the other possibility in Pasuk Vav. But should the watchman not do his job and not blow the shofar and not warn the people, then a certain person who was killed by the enemy, who was not properly warned, should he die? Yechezkel says here something very amazing. The person who was killed is still going to die for his own sins. As it says, He was taken because of his own iniquities, because of his own sin. However, However, I'm going to request the blood from the watchman because he is also responsible. And here we have a case of dual responsibility. On the one hand, it's the job of the watchman to warn the people. And if he does his job, then he can't be punished for what happened to somebody else. But should he not do his job and a person is killed in battle, then that person, on the one hand, is punished because of his own sins. On the other hand, 
there's a certain responsibility that the watchman had for that person as well. And this complex concept of Hashkachat Hashem, of what happens to people, is what's confusing the people. God continues and tells Yechezkel, that's why it's your job to warn the people, even though, you're not, even though you know they're not going to listen, and even though they're deserving a punishment. But still, it's your job to warn them. And if you don't warn them, you, Yechezkel, are responsible. But just because there's responsibility on the watchman, that doesn't mean that the people themselves don't have their own responsibility for their deeds as well. Now Yechezkel responds to what the people were saying. Pasuk Yod, ben Adam, Yisrael, martem lemor, Yechezkel now, in light of this analogy, is going to try to explain to the people the misunderstanding they have of God's Hashkacha. Now that they know that they've sinned and they're being punished, now they think that everything is lost. And they say, if indeed we're being punished for our sins, then how can we live? There's no hope for us. Therefore, God tells them to tell them, Shuvu, shuvu haraim, tamutu beit Yisrael, very fitting psukim for the month of Elul, where God tells Yechezkel to explain to the people, God is not interested in punishing people. He'd rather they repent. And the people should not understand God's hashkacha as linear, that everything you do wrong, you have to be punished for. And everything you do right, you get rewarded for. Rather, God may stall punishment and give people a second chance, a third chance, a fourth chance, in order that maybe they'll understand what's wrong and they'll repent. And if they repent properly, they won't have to suffer punishment at all. However, on the flip side, should there be a person who is righteous his whole life and did good, but then he changes his ways, that righteous person should not expect that his righteousness in his earlier years is going to save him from the punishment he's due in the actions he does in the present. And that Yechezkel continues to explain in Pasuk Yudbet. As we just explained, Yechezkel explains to them that a tzaddik shouldn't think that his righteousness will save him when he sins, nor should the Rasha think, on the flip side, that because he's sinned, there's no way that he can return to God and save himself from punishment. Now, in Pasuk Yudalad, he explains what type of tshuva does he expect from the Rasha? Should God say about a Rasha, he deserves to die, and that person repents from his sin, and then does Mishpat Utztaka, we discussed that before, the main theme that Yirmiyahu, Yishael, Yechezkel talk about, the main thing they ask from the people is doing Tzedek Mishpat. Just like we saw in chapter 18, he gives a whole list of behavior that he expects the Rasha to repent from. Should he take upon himself to lead a much better life and follow God properly, he won't have to receive that punishment and God can give him another chance. In response to this, in Pasachaf, the people say, The people are saying, They don't think it's possible the way of God, that indeed a person who is so bad, is it really possible that he can do tshuva in return? God says, everyone will be judged based on their ways and on their deeds. In many ways, what Yechezkel says in Perak Lamed Gimel is a summary of what he said back in Perak Yudchet about the tzaddik and the rasha and the tzofeh. We also had something very similar in Perak Gimel in chapter 3 when Yechezkel was first given his mission to become the Navi. God gave him the same warning about it's his responsibility to warn the people whether they listen or not. 
So what's new now in Perak Lamed Gimel? To appreciate that, we have to read on a little bit. In Pasach of Aleph, we hear about the refugee coming from Yerushalayim, telling the people in Bavel the city indeed has been smitten. Then, as we mentioned at the end of chapter 24, it's repeated here now, that when the palit, when the refugee actually comes to Yechezkel and tells them about the city being smitten, then Yechezkel won't have to be quiet anymore. He'll be able to deliver his message. He'll be vindicated. And that should be a proof to the people that his warnings were correct. That's in Psukim Chaf Aleph and Chabet. But after the news of the destruction reaches, there's another nevoah which is very interesting. In Pasach Chav Gimel. Vayit Varsham Elay Lemor. Ben Adam. Yoshvei HaKharavot HaElel Admat Yisrael Omrim Lemor Echan HaYavraham Vayirash Et Haaretz. Even though the Beit HaMikdash was destroyed, still there are those who remain in the hills of Yudah who had run away from the destruction of Yerushalayim and now living among its ruins. And they're saying, even though they're few in number, they're still more in number than Avram was. And even though Avram was a single person, still God promised him the land and he became a nation. And those people think that those who remained, who were not killed in the Chorban, those who remain in the land of Israel, they will become the future of Am Yisrael. Therefore, they say, the people in the hills of Yehuda who remained after the Chorban, even though they're few in number, they're saying the future of Am Yisrael will be with them, and those who went into exile earlier are being cut off. The people in Bavel, the ones who Yechezkel were talking to, are entertaining the same idea. Maybe the reason why we went into exile is because of our sins. And the very fact that we were exiled and they weren't. And the very fact that they survived, and we didn't remain in Yerushalayim, God is telling us that we're cut off, and God's telling them that they're the chosen ones. Yechezkel has to explain to the people that that is a misunderstanding of the events. It's exactly the opposite that's true. God took that exile from the time of Yehoshim and brought them in Bavel to plan the future of Am Yisrael, knowing that the fate of the city is close to seal. There was very little hope that those who remained in Yerushalayim would be able to repent properly. Therefore, he has to explain to them why those who remained in Yerushalayim are not deserving of redemption. In Pasach Avhei, he explains, Are you going to eat on blood? We'll return to that phrase in a minute. Are you going to raise your eyes to abominations, to idol worship? Are you going to continue to spill blood and you think you are the people who are going to inherit the land? You stood by your swords. You fought. You rebelled against Bavel. Most likely, this is after the events of Gedalia ben Achikam and his assassination by Ishmael ben Netanya. If you recall the story of how Gedalia was killed, it was a Sudat Rosh Hashanah. They were eating a meal and that's when Ishmael ben Netanya came and assassinated all the people in the middle of a feast. And it could be the Pasach Hafei is alluding to that. God saying, Al-Adam tochelu v'dam that's how you're going to act? You think people like that are going to be deserving of continuing the tradition of Am Yisrael? Those who remained in the land, they're going to fall by sword themselves. Those hiding out in the fields, they're going to be eaten up by the animals. Those remaining in the caves and hiding out in old fortresses, they're going to die by plague. The land is going to remain desolate. When all this punishment happens and the Chorban is complete in total and there's no one remaining in the hills of Yudan Yushalayim, then the Aduki and Yashem, 
ותיתי את הארץ שממה ומשמה על כל תועבתם אשר עשו. When I make the land totally desolate, then the people in Bavel are going to know that this is the hand of God and they are the future. Let's try to explain why this message is so important. The people in Bavel, before they were exiled, had received numerous prophecies from the false prophets promising victory, promising that it's possible to rebel against Bavel. And those prophets who went into exile after Galut Yehoyachin continued to support that approach saying the worst is over in two, three years we're returning. We've discussed this over and over again. And they've been depending on God that He'll come and redeem His people. When that redemption doesn't materialize and instead the temple is destroyed as Yehezkel warned but no one listened and as Yemiel warned and no one listened. But when that destruction does come now the fear is the opposite. That the people are going to reach the opposite conclusion because they trusted their false prophets but they think those prophets represented God. Now they'll interpret that as all is lost. As we said before in Pasekudim, Perek Lamed Gimel, the people now accept and realize we're being punished for our sins and how can we live? It's all lost. This depression and lack of hope that now faces the people is exactly what Yechezkel has to counter. The people have two possible interpretations. Either those who remain in Yerushalayim, the few, may still continue and they'll be the future. Or everything is lost and God has simply cut off his connection with the Jewish people altogether. The covenant is finished. And therefore, they're going to go follow other gods now. Yechezkel has to instill in them the recognition, on the one hand, that they've been punished for their sins. On the other hand, that there's a possibility of return. And therefore, this parak is going to set the background that the people should not think that if indeed they're being punished by God, it's everything or nothing. And there's no way to return ever. There is a possibility of return, but it's going to take a long time. And the purpose of exile is to recognize those sins and to prepare themselves to return properly. At the end of parak Lamed Gimel, we have four psukim from Pasuk Lama to Lamed Gimel where God tells Yechezkel where everyone's making fun of him. A lot of people would come and listen to Yechezkel and say, what's the prophet, what's the rabbi have to say? And they'd say, I would tell us something and then after listening to him they'd be joking around making fun of him. If you read those psukim you'll see it's very similar to what happens in modern day times as well. But God promises Yechezkel even though they're making fun of you with all these prophecies one day when it comes true you'll get the last laugh and finally they'll know ki navi haya betocham as the parak concludes in Pasuk Lamed Gimel. In chapter 34, Yechezkel uses yet another analogy, and this time comparing the leaders of Israel to the shepherd and Amistro themselves to a flock of sheep. In this parak, we have an additional reference to something which we're familiar with from Tefillah and Rosh Hashanah. In Pasuk Yed Aleph, where God explains the analogy, After comparing the leaders of Israel who have misled the people, and only taking care of the good and the rich and the wealthy, and have totally neglected the poor and the downtrodden, and the only interest of these shepherds is to eat the meat of the sheep that are good. As he explains in Pasigimu, You only want the fatty sheep to eat. You didn't care about the weak, about the sick, about those who were lost. You didn't look for the lost sheep. After continuing this analogy, God says, you have failed, I'm sending you out. And God says that He Himself is going to take over now and lead the people. And then the Pasuk Yedbet, He explains that, God explains, just like a shepherd, just like a good shepherd watches over his flock, and saves them from all the places that they were dispersed to, 
even in a day of bad weather, so too God is going to bring his people back. In the Sana Tokef, in the famous line, we have a very similar phrase like the Pasuk here in Yecheskel. In Pasuk Yud Gimel, God continues to explain, God says, these sheep who were misled and the shepherds caused them to disperse, God's going to gather them together from the places they were dispersed to, bring them back to the land, back to the hills of Israel, and there He'll take care of them. This clearly can be seen as a devoir of Nechama, of comfort, even though He's rebuked the leaders, now He's comforting the people that even though they've been misled and had poor leadership, when the time comes, God will gather them together and make sure their leadership will be proper. The same theme will continue in chapters 36 and 37. We're going to read from the end of this Nevoah where he talks about the leadership that's going to lead the people when they return. Pasach I'm going to establish for them one good shepherd and he'll watch over them. Et Abdi David, my servant David. The new shepherd will be a descendant of David HaMelech or a leader who had the same qualities that David HaMelech had when he was leader over the people. I will be their God. The phrase of Brit Milah, Atem Tuli Laam, Anochi Ayelem Pasach Avdalad, V'ani Hashem Ayelem Lelohim, V'abdi David, Nasi Betocham, Ani Hashem Dibarti. My servant David will be a Nasi. As all the commentators point out, Yechesko rarely uses the word Melech, the word King, to describe the leadership of the people. Instead, he calls him a Nasi, a prince. Yechesko is very wary of the behavior of the kingdom, and even though a descendant of David or someone of the character of David will be the leader who will bring them back and watch them properly when they return, here we prefer to call him a Nasi as opposed to a Melech. This topic we'll return to in Perak Memgimel as well. Yechezka will close Perak Lamadalad with a lot of imagery which is, comes directly from the Tochacham B'chukotai where God promises if you keep my laws, my Shekhinah will dwell with you, the land will be good and you'll be secure in it, on the other hand, if you don't keep my laws, I'll punish you until the point of exile and destruction of the temple. Now we're going to return to the blessings of Pasha B'chukotai and how God will be good to us when we follow Him properly. In Pasach Hathay, He promises, Many phrases very similar to the beginning of Pasha B'chukotai. That theme continues to the end of the parak. Yechesko concludes the Nevoah, returning to the same analogy, They'll be my flock, I'll be your shepherd, I'll watch over you, I'll be your God, you'll be my people. Before we continue with Perak Lamed I want to repeat what we mentioned before, that these promises of redemption, instead of understanding them as something that has to happen, I think the main point Yechezkel is saying is this is something that can happen. If it will happen, it still depends on the behavior of the people. Because all these nevot of Nechama, the ones we saw and the ones we'll continue to see, indeed can happen, but it doesn't mean that they have to happen exactly the way the Navi describes. Instead of predicting the future, the job of the Navi is to shape the future. On the flip side, what the people are thinking is that all is lost, that there is no hope, there's no possibility of redemption. There's no way they could possibly return. The devote of Nechama, Vichaskel, like we saw with Yermiel, don't say that this will happen and automatically everything will be good and everything will be fine no matter how you behave. The main point Yechezkel has to make is redemption can happen. It is possible. God wants it to happen. The Navi is giving the guidelines for how it can take place. When the people think that all is lost, as Yechezkel mentioned back in Perak Lamed Gimel, 
And the people have given up totally. We'll see that as well in the Chazon of the Dry Bones in chapter 37. The main job of Yechezkel is not necessarily to promise them that redemption for sure will happen the way he's describing it. He's describing it in a way that it will happen to give them hope and trust that it can happen. On the other hand, they have to be inspired that they have to act in a way that will make it happen. I'm pointing that out because when you study Yechezkel, you see he has all these promises about a rosy future which don't always materialize in Jewish history. But I don't think Yechezkel is coming and saying this has to be this way, it'll remain that way forever. The main point he has to make to the people is that it can happen, it's possible. Don't give up hope totally. On the other hand, for this to happen, you still have to act as the proper covenantal partner and therefore, all the promises he brings from Pasha B'chukotai about the land giving its fruit and living quietly, etc., is intentional because all those promises begin with that conditional phrase, if you keep my laws and follow my commandments, then this is possible. Again, the main Chiddush of Yechezkel that the people need to hear is that redemption is possible, that the covenant is not over. To what extent it will remain successful still depends on the people's ability to follow God properly. Let's continue now with Paraklamet Hay, which seems to be out of place because it's a Nevoah about Har Seir. And even though he mentioned them already back in chapter 25, together with Ammon and Moab and Edom, in chapter 35, Har Seir is singled out and he gives a very good reason for it. Har Seir is being singled out because it was their hope that now that Yerushalayim is destroyed, they're going to take over. Why? Pasuk Yud. Yan Amracha, because you said, here's what the people in Har Seir said, Et Shnei HaGoim, Vet Shtei HaArtsot, Li Tiena, Virashnuha, V'Adonai Shamhaya. Because you said these two nations, Yehuda and Israel, these two lands, they're going to be mine, and I'm going to take them over, even though God was there. This is the land of God and should be settled by his own people, you were so eager to take that over. You were so happy that those two Mamlachot, Yisrael and Yehuda, were destroyed and exiled. You were planning to take it over. Therefore, I'm going to do to you the same type of anger and revenge that you had against Am Yisrael. That's going to fall back on you, and you'll receive the same destruction that they received. He concludes the parak with a very similar message in Pasuk Yodalad, verse 14, when the whole land is happy, then you'll be desolate. Just like you were happy about the Nachla of Am Yisrael when it was desolate, that's what I'm going to do to you. You'll receive the same measure of desolation. The whole land of Adom will become desolate and then and then Am Yisrael will know that there's God behind these events when this all takes place. Why is this interjected in the Nebuchadnezzar of Nechama? I think the reason why goes back to what we saw before, that the reason why God's bringing Am Yisrael back is not primarily because Am Yisrael is deserving of it, but it's primarily because of the Chilo Hashem, the desecration of God's name. Because we were viewed by our neighbors as a nation rejected by God and God being unable to help His people. Therefore, God has to bring us back, even if we're not deserving for the sake of His name. The Pasuk that emphasized this theme was in Perat Lamedva Pasach Abet, I'm not doing it for your sake, but I'm doing it for the sake of my name that's been defiled in the nations that you've gone to. Then I'm going to sanctify my name, the name that was profaned among these nations. According to Yechezkel, the primary reason for redemption will be even though Am Yisrael is not deserving, it will be to sanctify God's name that's been desecrated. 
Ideally, Amiso should be worthy of redemption, the scenario that Yirmiyahu the prophet explained. But even if they're not worthy before they return, God says, I have to bring them back sooner or later for the sake of my name. And then if they're not ready before they come back, he'll explain how he'll make them ready when they do return. Let's see this now in the beginning of chapter 36. God turns now to the hills of Israel, just like He turned to them in chapter 6. God turned to the hills of Israel, warning them that destruction is coming. Now in chapter 36, He turns once again to these same hills that have now become desolate because of this destruction and promises them that as people return, not only will the people return, trees will begin to grow again, and once again, the land of Israel will be the home for God's people. Returning now to chapter 36, Yechezkas explained to the hills, why is it that he's bringing his people back? It's because the attitude of the enemy that said about you, they were happy with your destruction, and they think that they can now take over, and that's the connection between Paraklam and He. And Lamed Vav. Therefore, the Navi continues in Pasigimot Dalit and Hey. Because of this, Haray Yisrael listened to the word of God. Because everyone was making fun of this land, therefore I have to come and redeem it. In Pasichet, we have a very famous set of Sukim, which were quoted very often in our own time period. Pasichet Vatem Haray Yisrael, and now you, the hills of Israel, and Pechem Titenu Uferichem Tisulami Yisrael. Now that your branches begin to give fruit for my people Israel, Kikavulavol, because soon they're coming. The Gemara explains that one of the greatest signs of redemption is when the produce of the land of Israel becomes plentiful again and the land returns to its glory. He continues in Pasekut, I'll bring many people back, the whole people of Israel. The cities will be built once again and inhabited. You can easily understand why these nevuot were so meaningful in the last hundred years in our return to Israel in our own generation. Now, even though Yechezkel promised this will happen, even if we're not deserving for the sake of his name, Yechezkel explains in Pasach Abdalad, in verse 24, I'll bring you back from those nations. Then, God will help begin this process of cleansing the people from their sin, from their ways, and hopefully we'll be able to return to God properly. He'll give us a new heart. And a new spirit. Again, the psukim from the beginning of Pasha Bechukotai. He'll make it so that we'll follow his laws properly. We mentioned this before. God's saying, this redemption is possible. I'll help you. But still, you're the ones who have to keep my laws properly. Then this redemption can be complete. Finally, Finally, the phrase we see over and over again, the phrase of the covenant, you'll be my people, I'll be your God. Finally, in Pasuk Lamed Aleph, when this happens, you still must remember your evil ways, which caused the destruction beforehand. You have to feel regret and remorse for your poor behavior that caused the exile and caused the destruction. When I bring you back, you must remember your ways to repent from them. And if you don't continue in those ways, then redemption can be complete. Once again, Pasek Lamed Bet, Lo lemanchem ani oseh, Numashem Elohim, I'm not doing it for your sake. Yebadalachem, you should know that. Bogshu vikamu midarchechem beit Yisrael. Am Yisrael should become embarrassed and should be ashamed of the way they acted. And they should be appreciative now of God for bringing them back.
Finally, God promises, Komar Hashem Elohim, in Pasek Lamed Gimel, Biyom Tariyatchem Mikovonotechem, when God cleanses us from these sins, Voshavti Yetarim, V'nivnu Acharavot, the cities will be inhabited once again, and the destroyed cities will be rebuilt. Ba'aretz Hanshama Te'aved, the land that was once desolate will be worked again. It's easy to understand how these prophecies have continued to give hope to Amisro through thousands of years of exile, and Baruch Hashem, in our own time period, in our own generation, They've been slowly fulfilled. And as we see in Yechezkel, in order for these prophecies to continue to be fulfilled, we have to make sure to follow our covenantal commitment that Yechezkel alludes to over and over again. In the next chapter, Perak Lamed Zayin, chapter 37, this theme of Nechama continues, and we find two famous prophecies. The first one is so famous, there's not even a need to explain it in detail, where Yechezkel has a vision in the Bikah, the same place where he saw his vision of God Shekhinah leaving Yerushalayim and landing in Bavel. Now he has a vision of dry bones that are slowly going to come back to life, which represent Am Yisrael coming back to life in exile and returning to the land of Israel. From this section of Perak Lamed Zayin, I simply want to quote two or three lines which reflect the same theme that we've been trying to explain. The Echesko's main job is to give the people hope because they're depressed and think there's no way that the Jewish people will once again become a nation in the land of Israel. The first thing God asks Echesko when he sees the dry bones in Pasig Gimel, is it possible that these bones will come back to life? In the Psukim they continue, slowly these bones come back to life. And then God explains to Yechezkel in Pasuk Aleph in verse 11, These bones, they represent the entire house of Israel. The people of Israel are saying, The people in Bava were saying, our bones are dried out. We have lost all of our hope. Nigzanulanu. This is a decree about us. We're finished. The same thing we saw in Paraklamid Gimel and Lamed David. The people reached the conclusion that all is lost. God has cut off his connection with the Jewish people. The point of this Nivoa is to make it crystal clear to them that even though you think all is lost, just like these dry bones that can come back to life, so too Am Yisrael can come back from exile and reestablish itself as a nation. The next nevoah, from Pasek Tet Vav to Chavchet, the second half of the parak, is the Aftarah from Parshat Vayigash, where God tells Yechezkel, in Pasek Tet Zayin, V'atab ben Adam, kach lecha eitz echad, uktova lav liyuda, v'livnei Yisrael chavirav, take one tree, and write on it, to the house of Yehuda, and on the second tree, lekach eitz echad, take a second tree, and write on it, liyosef eitz Ephraim, b'chol b'it Yisrael chavirav, write on it, the tree of Ephraim, Bring them together and turn these two trees or two branches into one tree. They should become one in your hand. When your people ask you, what's the meaning of this? The people are going to beg Yechezka, what's the meaning of these actions? Verse 19, Tell them as follows, Asher biyad Ephraim, v'shivtei Yisrael chaverav, v'natati otam alav et eitz Yehuda, v'asitim leitz echad v'yul echad biyadi. I'm going to take these two tribes, the tribe of Yehuda and the tribe of Ephraim, that during the first temple period were two separate monarchies, almost two separate nations, and were always fighting with each other and rarely ever got along. I'm going to unite them together in front of your eyes. Yechezkel continues to explain that when God brings Am Yisrael back from exile, and returns them from the diaspora. In Pasach HaPet, V'asiti otam l'goy echad ba'aretz, ba'arei Yisrael, u'men lechechad ya lechulam, 
למלך, ולא יהיה עוד לשני גויים, ולא יחצו עוד לשתי ממלכות עוד. When I bring them back, there will no longer be two different nations. There'll be one nation, there'll be one king over them, and no longer will, will they be divided into two different nations. It's interesting that this is the only time in Yechezkel where he talks about the leadership as a melech, as opposed to a nasi, to the rest of the book. Now the king, the leader, is called a melech. Here, the point Yechezkel is making is for redemption to be complete, there needs to be unity, and when they return, they won't return like it was during the first temple period of two different nations, Yisrael and Yehuda, or Ephraim and Yehuda, instead, there'll be one nation with one king. Yechezkel concludes with the same phrase about the covenant, they will no longer defile the land with all the bad ways. God will bring salvation from all the places where they sinned. I'll cleanse them, I'll purify them. And finally, the classic phrase, they'll be for me a nation, I'll be their God. Again, the phrase from Brit Milah, Brit Sinai, the one we followed all through our study of Yirmiyahu and Yechezkel. Who will be the king? My servant David, the leadership that David had, who united the country, who led the people in doing tzedek mishpat, that type of leadership will be the king over them. One shepherd for all them. They'll follow my laws, keep my commandments, and do them. Then that will enable them to live peacefully in the land. Finally, in Pasach Havav, V'charati alahem brit shalom, I will establish for them once again a covenant with peace. Brit olam yautam, my mikdash can be established once again in the land. V'yam mishkani alahem, v'yiti lem l'elohim, v'hem yuli la'am. Again, the psukim of covenant and the mishkan is a symbol of that covenant between God and His people and the Torah being given in Har Sinai. V'yadu ha-goim k'ani Hashem, m'kadesh Yisrael. When that takes place, the nations around will also know that I am the God who sanctified Israel, who set them aside and designated them to serve Him, when my Mikdash, representing my Shekhinah, will be among them. As I'm sure you noticed, once again, many psukim, many words and phrases from the positive side of the Tochacha in the beginning of Parsha B'chukotah. The question is, once again, is Echesko making predictions or is he giving direction? This act of grafting two trees together is a beautiful example of what's necessary in order to unify the country. It's possible to graft two trees together, but it's a very difficult process and has to be done carefully. So too, when Amisol returns, it's very easy for them to return to their arguments and their desire to break into two different groups. There's always a reason to break into different groups, everyone with their own ideology, with their own ways. Yechezko may be predicting that when we return, we'll be unified. Or the way we've been trying to explain through our entire series, Yechezko is shaping the future, not just predicting it, He's giving Am Yisrael a guide of what's necessary for redemption to be complete. He's not saying this will happen, this needs to happen. Therefore, for redemption to be complete, the concept of Ephraim and Yehuda, this desire by different groups to break and divide Am Yisrael into different nations, each one with their own government, with all those good intentions that those people may have and the need to divide, there's still a greater need to unite, to find a common denominator, and to make Am Yisrael, God's nation, unified as a model for other nations to follow. The other condition, that Vavdi David Melech Alehem, the king, the leadership that they need, has to be the type of David who led his people in doing Tzedek Mishpat L'chol like we saw in Shmuel Bet, Perechet Pasek Yodalad in Tetvav. And as we explained before, all on the condition, Uv Mishpatai Yelechu, Vuchotai Yishmur Vasuotam, as we read in Pasek Havdalad. 
Yechezkel is promising that this can happen, and it will happen, but on the condition that Am Yisrael keeps their side, and we can take these Nebot of Yechezkel once again as a, not only a promise of redemption, but a guide of how redemption has to take place. In Perak Lamed Chet and Lamed Tet is a famous section called Nebot of Gogu Magog, a very difficult section to understand. We're only going to make one basic point, that this is not a war between Gog and Magog. It's the nation of Gog and their leader is Magog, Magog the Nasi of Gog. It talks about all the nations gathering against Israel. And this is taking place after redemption. And that's why this parak, Lamedchet and Lamedchet, were quoted during the time period of the Yom Kippur War, where it was after Amisar returned to its land. And then all of a sudden, after achieving peace and quiet, nations from around gathered and tried to destroy us. The description in Perak Lamedchet and Lamedchet is not identical, but definitely in the same direction. And that's why these chapters were quoted so frequently during the time period of the Yom Kippur War. If indeed the Yom Kippur War was a fulfillment of Gog and Magog, that's beyond the scope of our shiurim to discuss. I simply want to point out that its content was very meaningful during that time period. And understanding that parallel can help us appreciate the different approaches that different groups of people had to how to interpret the events of that war. We still consider these two prakim as the vote of Nechama, the vote of comfort, because they end with comfort, even though it's a very difficult process that it describes. There's terrible destruction and death in that war with Gog. But ultimately, at the end, Am Yisrael was saved and once again will return and dwell peacefully in our land. One phrase that is worth mentioning, the last Pasuk in Perak Lamed Chet, Pasuk of Gimbal, V'hit gauditi, v'hit kadishti, v'nodati, v'hini ha-goyim rabim, v'yaduki Hashem. At the end of the process, God's name will be sanctified and made great. It's this Pasuk which is the source for the famous opening line of Kadish, of v'hit kadav, v'hit kadash is based on this Pasuk here in Pasuk Havkimu. Finally, the last unit in Sefer Yechezkel is Prakim Mem Tememchet, better known as Prakim Mikdash, Yechezkel's vision of the temple that's going to be built in the future. We're not going to deal with all its details. We're simply going to point out that the vision that he sees is very similar to the vision that he saw in the beginning of the book. The structure of the book therefore becomes quite clear. In the beginning, Yechezkel sees a vision of the Mikdash and God Shechinan the Mikdash leaving Yerushalayim and landing in Bavel. The book ends where that same vision of Shekhinah returns to Yerushalayim and the temple is being rebuilt. As it's being rebuilt, it's very important to pay attention to all its details, the meaning of every single section in these nine chapters would require a very lengthy share. There is one section which I'd like to read, which will tie into our theme of our entire share today, is in the beginning of Perak Mem Gimel, after he's gone through three chapters of a complete description of how this Mikdash is going to look, in Pasuk Aleph, chapter 43, the beginning. God takes him to the gate, the gate that points to the east, just like we saw before in the beginning of the book. The same vision that I saw in the beginning when God was coming to destroy the city, the vision that I saw in Arkvar in the beginning of the book, falls on his face. The glory of God came onto this house that he now saw being built. God's glory has filled the house. Kvod Hashem filling the house like we saw in the end of Sefer Shmot, in the end of Parsha Pekudei, after the Mishkan is built. They were told that Kvod Hashem Malayat Mishkan, just like Kvod Hashem had filled up Har Sinai at the end of Parsha Mishpatim. Then Yechezko hears God speaking to him from the house, just like Moshe Rabbeinu heard God speaking to him from the Oho Moed. 
ואיש היה עומד אצלי, ויאמר אליי בן אדם, את מקום כיסי ואת מקום כפות רגלי, this place where I'm establishing now my throne, אשר ישכן שם בתוך בני ישראל לעולם, where I hope now to dwell among the people of Israel forever, ולא יטמאו עוד בית ישראל שם קודשי, המה ומלכיהם בזנותם, I'm no longer going to allow their kings to become so close to me. Listen carefully to Pasachet. Betitam sipam et sipi. Umzuzatam itza mezuzati. The kings beforehand had their doorposts and their lentils right next to my house. Recall when Shlomo HaMelech built the Beit HaMikdash, the Beit HaMelech and Beit HaMikdash were one complex. And God's house was right next to the king's house. Means they were sharing a wall and sharing a door. God says, that's not going to happen when I return now in the second temple. Betimu et shem kodshi. That closeness between the king and the house of God caused them to defile my great name and that caused me to get angry and destroy them. Now that they're returning, now I want them, their evil kings and their evil ways, I want them far away from me and then I'll be able to dwell among the people. The view that Yechezkel has as the proximity between the house of the king and the Beit HaMikdash in the first temple period, was way too close when they returned in Bayit Sheni, and that we see actually happening, almost to an extreme, where no longer is the house of the king close to the Beit HaMikdash. In fact, there's not even a king in the second temple period. The reluctance of Amiso to reestablish a kingdom most likely stems from this Nevoah in Yechezkel. What is the ideal balance between the kingdom and the Mikdash? Again, a topic for much more detailed discussion. To summarize, our main topic in today's shir was the Nevot Nechama of comfort of Yechezkel. We try to show how Yechezkel's primary point is to give the people who have given up all hope of redemption to impress upon them that it is possible, it can happen, it will happen. However, in order for it to happen, Am Yisrael has to be a dedicated covenantal partner. God will take care of the events and bring them back, but Am Yisrael has to be dedicated. They have to keep God's laws properly. They have to recognize why they were punished. Be ashamed for that behavior and internalize what went wrong and use that as a springboard to reestablish their nation in the proper manner. Even though during their own time periods, Yirmiyahu and Yecheskel were scoffed at and made fun of constantly, over the long term of Jewish history, Yecheskel and Yirmiyahu have prevailed. We've remained a nation. In our own time, we've returned to our land. And hopefully one day we'll be worthy of building once again the Beit HaMikdash, the symbol of God's Shekhinah in our midst.